Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown. Where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes in the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and a culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music, the tall tales, the true stories, and the current goings-on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter and swim buck naked in the summer. Welcome to Episode 6 of the Brown County Hour, a celebration of the arts in Brown County. We're also celebrating ourselves. Our show recently received two awards. No kidding. We started the show less than a year ago. What awards? One for radio writing from Indiana Society of Professional Journalists and one to Pam Rader for Best Producer from WFHB. Which means, of course, she had a great crew to manage. If you like herding cats. Speaking of crews, what's on today's show? Well, Pioneer Art. Why Steve Miller's artist grandfather came here. A county musician who heads the Indiana Arts Commission. Upcoming arts happenings. Gunther Flum's art history lesson. Walking with Nature series about frogs. Bruce Clegg's report on local Habitat for Humanity. Let's get cracking. From Nashville's historic Pioneer Village, here's Julia Pearson. Welcome to Then and Now. Brown County History Center's part of the Brown County Radio Hour. Let's look at art and artifacts, how they shape Brown County and guide her even today. Stories are the soft artifacts squirreled away in our minds. Memory arranges them as words and pictures behind our eyes where they silently shape us while we sleep and later influence our thoughts and dreams even after we've moved on to another place. Artwork exhibited in a museum, gracing the walls of your home or stored in your mind's eye, preserves a time and a place when we felt most alive and connected to the best parts of life. In the first generation or so, Brown County pioneers did not have much time to decorate or fix up things strictly for artistic purposes. Clearing a wilderness and making everything by hand consumed their days. Art entered their lives to commemorate a special occasion or important people in their lives. Cemeteries were the first art museums in Brown County, where stone carvers applied their hands to memorial tombstones. The historic records of births and deaths, marriages, and family plots were witnesses in stone for future ages. Likely, one of Brown County's first traditional artists was a stone carver, Henry Cross. His measured and talented works can be viewed at Taggart Cemetery and other burial grounds in this county. Henry usually carved the tombstones with one symbol, be it a willow tree, a gun, dog, angels, cross, or a Bible. Dresses sewn to wear at baptisms, weddings, and anniversaries were made special with fancy work, and then they were passed down in the family when Grandma left this world to live in the next. Granddaddy's whittling projects and other woodworkings became treasured family heirlooms. This kind of art could be found in most counties, 
but what made Brown County art and its artists distinctive and a draw for people to make Brown County a destination and a sanctuary to get away from modern life's pressures. Adolf Schultz said to T.C. Steele on a June day 104 years ago, he said, someday artists will come to this county, so possibly you and I will be pioneers to blaze the way for future artists. Steele passed on the comments in a letter. Granddaddy, what do you think is Brown County? Some folks say it's the bluegrass music. I've heard others say on the street in Nashville that it's the shopping in all these stores. Sign Out of Town says there are over 200 unique shops. That's the word, unique. Folks who have always lived here think it's all about birthplace and blood kin. Child, they're all right as far as they go. They just don't go far enough. This hard rock of a gem called Brown County is so bright and sheds so much light, you cannot take it all in in one setting or even a lifetime. That famous Hoosier artist T.C. Steele was called a master of light because of what he preserved on canvas of the sun, playing on the hills or his wife's flower beds. Adolf Schultz was so inspired of what he felt in Brown County that he spent the last part of his life just trying to portray the face and spirit of Christ on a canvas. Well, that does make some sense, Granddaddy. But why do you think we see things so differently when we think of Brown County? Well, the things we learn from either fine art or folk art shine with insight, beauty of all kinds, and even harshest memories. The stories and hope that live on in pieces of art help us see things that we have not been ready to see or challenge us to do things we didn't think we could do. Helps us believe in each other. Art and history challenge us to be the best. Even the word art speaks of the best and the finest. Well, that's an awful lot of thinking, Granddaddy. More thinking that can be done in just one sitting. Okay, let's try this. If you want to feel art doing its work, go take some music of Slats Klug or Steve Miller's Liar's Bench and go to the porch of T.C. Steele's House of the Singing Winds in Brown County. Be still for 20 minutes or so and listen to the quiet. Then play the CD and you'll have your answer to what art and artifacts are. I've heard that Henry Cross's Stonehead sculpture was a payment for his road taxes. Now Steve Miller tells his family history about his grandfather, artist Dale Brazier. I'm Rick Fettig. Well, and I got Steve Miller here again with us. Thanks, hey, Steve, for coming. It's a pleasure. But well, we want to talk about your grandfather today. I My grandfather has a pretty interesting story here. His dad and two uncles, so the three brothers, came from the border of France and Switzerland. And actually, in the late 1800s, to set up a baking business. And they arrived in Indianapolis. My grandfather, Dale Basir who was one of the original founders of the art colony, came in 1913 here. They had a very successful baking business in Indianapolis. They actually invented molds to pour ice cream cones. Grandfather Dale's dad and the two uncles wanted him to stay in Indianapolis and be part of the baking business, but he didn't want to. He wanted to be an artist and move to Brown County where all the artists, the Schultzes were here, and everybody was coming, staying at the Pittman House Inn in the summers, and so he was trying to figure out a way he could get out of that baking business up in Indianapolis and head down to Brown County. The story is that he went to Shore 
Fort Ridge High School, and they sent him off to uh, Chicago to business school, but he studied art. Just by chance, his uh, dad received a, a report from his studies and saw that he was taking all these art classes and called him back to Indianapolis and said, okay, you're going to stay here in the business and not study art in Chicago. In Chicago, that's where the Schultzes were from, and a lot of the artists had found out about Brown County, so he knew about it. So he walked to Brown County with a friend. He came... And as he came over the hill through Bean Blossom and came down the hill into Nashville, there was the there was a 30-acre apple orchard that said for sale. Had trees, I don't know how tall they were, but they were bearing fruit. And he became very excited that that was a way he could prove to his dad that he could make money and eventually become an artist and paint. So he turned, he and his friend walked down the orchard, and he found this old man that, you know, was getting older and needed to sell the orchard. How much do you want for the orchard? Named a price. My grandfather said, I'll figure out a way to do this. Don't sell it. Let's walk back to Indianapolis. Brought the subject up with his dad, who would have nothing of it, but his two uncles knew that he was really saddened to be there in Indianapolis yeah. in his big baking business. And so they worked out a deal to get him, I think, $500. And off he went back to, took the train this time oh, to yeah. Helmsburg. So his dad was very sad about it. Four years later, his dad had sold the business in Indianapolis, moved to Brown County because oh, no. he loved it too. But So an interesting story, how his uncles and he worked out a deal to get the down payment to buy the orchard. And it had to do with faking a lung coughing and the pastiness of the business and so anyway he did it apple crop that year was so good they made enough money to start the house in 1914 and they built their house cut down i don't know 20 apple trees and built the house overlooking town has his studio which is still there today so all the gardens, the wisteria, just like the steel house with the wisteria vines and the pergolas and all that. So we're kind of restoring that. But interesting story that he tended to the orchard. They raised the kids. And in, I don't know, in the 20s, he started painting as the boys got older took over the orchard and he started painting in the studio and you were yeah. saying he knew tc steel and a bunch of these other artists oh, that yeah. were around here yeah he knew schultz and steel and they would take trips you can read in hohenberger's journal how they would all take a trip out to steel's on a sunday and have a breakfast or a brunch or something like that and look at the gardens and talk and then he would study with steel he actually oh. painted with steel and learned and i remember going into my grandfather's studio and watching him paint and when i opened the door big wooden latch and a handmade door and I could smell the linseed oil and the gum turpentine and the mixing of the paints and I would just walk in and quietly close the door and he knew I was there but he wouldn't say anything and I would watch him sketch with his wrist just very artistically very intently capturing his sketch and then he could finish a painting that he'd started outside just by taking a palette knife and just making it come to life and I was just fascinated his dad he said he says well this is quite a business quite a racket you got here Dale you know you can take two dollars worth of paint and put it on dollars worth of canvas and sell it for $85. That's pretty good. That's better than a baking business. People still come to beautiful Brown County to build their homes and help neighbors build theirs. The president of Brown County Habitat for Humanity explains. Bruce Clegg for WFHB, the Brown County Hour. My guest today is Carol Moore. Carol is presently the president of Brown County's affiliate for Habitat for Humanity. Carol, welcome. I'm glad to be here. Carol, how many houses have you built here in uh, Brown County? We're getting ready to do our 15th house, and uh, we usually do about one a year because we're a, a total volunteer organization. 
Now, last year you had a special event with Lowe's as a sponsor and a uh, panel build, I think, with over 100 volunteers. Any uh, special events this year? This year we have a sponsor. It's American Rental. David David, who is their executive vice president, is a local person that comes from here. Their organization is really excited about doing this. They send their district managers, and they're going to put in several weeks' worth of work. Uh, really a great, great group of people. I uh, I worked with some of those people last year, and uh, really a fun, fun group. Has the work schedule been set for this year? Are you... You're probably into the build as we speak. Absolutely. This is approximately a six-week build. It's a smaller house this year. If you have a group that you want to get together, your church group or uh, a civic organization can come and work together if they want to do it as a team-building thing or just show up on the job site. We always have work for people. The uh, best way for uh, volunteers to uh, contact Habitat for Humanity, the website? Yes, it is. If they will just go on the website, it's bc-habitat.com. You actually do things all year round, starting in the winter, even with concerts and things. And Yes, it takes a lot of money, as you might imagine, to build a house every year. We're indebted to the community for their support. We have three fundraising events. We have a spring uh, concert. We also have a summer fest in the first uh, weekend in June. And then later in the fall, we have a uh, a hike. Uh, People will get teams, churches will get teams, and uh, we make it a competition, and uh, that raises some money. Mm -hmm. I might mention that part of the habitat process is that people do not get these houses free. They're partner families, and they have to put in 250 hours minimum work on the house and they pay back a mortgage that is interest free but it is not a handout it's a hand up we like to call it and so if they will partner with us uh, we can work with them to provide decent housing not just with a house but you start with the whole process of home ownership and uh... yes it's quite involved Part of the process that we were talking about is that the family has to go through classes. They learn how to budget. They learn what it means to be a homeowner. They learn about repairs. And they learn about the team effort that it takes to build a house. And uh, they're involved all the time. My favorite part of the build, uh, perhaps, uh, lunch. Are you still providing lunch for everybody, all the volunteers? Yes, we have lunch uh, each day, and it's, it's somewhat the highlight of the day. We spend a lot of time at lunch getting to know one another because these are usually people that have never met before that day, and mm-hmm. so it's very interesting in the conversations that you get into. At the dedication, uh, you always sing a song by M. Hagen, and I'll just read the last verse, perhaps. Let us build a house where all are named, their songs and visions heard, and loved and treasured, taught and claimed, as words within the word, built of tears and cries and laughter, prayers of faith and songs of grace. Let this house proclaim from floor to rafters all our welcome, all our welcome in this place. And that's very true, isn't it, Carol? Yes, those ceremonies are really touching events. We have a formal ceremony. We ask for God's blessing on the family and the house. And often there isn't a dry eye in the house before it's over when you hear the story of how they've gotten to the point where they are. Well, I've been talking with Carol Moore. He's the president of Habitat for Humanity here in Brown County, and you'll probably find him out on the job site. Be sure to go visit them out there. I'm sure they'd welcome any help, and good luck, Carol. Thank you. Brown County folks are faithful to their neighbors, 
that reminds me of a tune called Faithfulness by our featured musician, Louis Rickey, whom we will interview later. Let's listen, and then we'll return after a station break. That old Warwick Hotel stood in the middle of that town Must have seen a hundred Easter brunches and a thousand winning gas But there's a new piece of sky above a hole in the ground I don't know why I thought it would always be around Well, it sold it off to someone who couldn't care less Kinda came undressed. There were tears on the carpet. Then they boarded it up. Then they hauled it away in the back of a truck. I've been this world over and I've seen the sublime. A little neglect and it's just a maritime. Between the utter delight and the terrible Stands a little thing of faithfulness Hey, faithfulness Out on the west coast, up in the Cascades Is the prettiest place that's ever been made But they pushed in the roads And they click-cut it all Every tree came down From the great to the small And now every winter Storms roll in from the coast But that land understands What it's missing the most Cause it slips and it slides Neath the thunder and rain And flows down those rivers Like suds down a drain been this world over and I've seen the sublime A little neglect and it's just a maritime Between the utter delight and the terrible mess There's a little thing of faithfulness Hey, faithfulness So dig your heels and baby And hold on tight It's half in the details And it's half in the fight It's always waiting in the wings Just to take you down So we're gonna have to learn How to stand our ground I've been this world over And I've seen the sublime A little neglect it's just a maritime Between the utter delight And the terrible mess There's a little thing of Faithfulness Hey Faithfulness Faithfulness 
Welcome back to episode six of the Brown County Hour, Art in Brown County. Summer was busy for the original artist in Brown County, who scurried during good weather to make a year's wages from tourists. Eventually, they established the Brown County Art Gallery. This is Janice Pierce and Vera Grubbs from the Brown County Hour and WFHB Radio. Vera is interviewing Jody Friend from the Brown County Art Gallery in Nashville. We're interested in what the original mission of the art gallery was and to what extent has the current gallery stayed true to those principles. Well, I think the original mission 85 years ago was to join a group of artists, like-minded artists who are interested in impressionistic work, join them in the Midwest where it was kind of an unheard of style. It was a very new style in the Midwest at that time. And also to have the camaraderie of uh, artists painting together and showing their work and selling their work, hopefully, in a small community like this. We're celebrating our 85th birthday this summer. It's been the longest continuous running artist association in the state of Indiana and one of the longest running in the whole country. The way that we have stayed true to that, I think, is although we're a larger number of artists now, we have 32 artists in the gallery now, we still try to stick to that same mission. We have the impressionistic style. The Brown County scenery is very well depicted and also it's a camaraderie that's really a great thing to be a part of. And would you tell me again the dates for that show? See, the IHA show begins June 11th and runs through June 25th. If I were to have two hours to spend at the art gallery, what impressions and memories would I take with me? I think one thing that you would enjoy seeing would be some of the paintings from our permanent collection, which are on display in a rotating basis. But if you were able to look at some of those paintings and then step into the main gallery and see the work that's being done today, I think you would see the transition and what we've learned from those people. Uh, how we've grown maybe from what they were doing then. And I'm so glad you came. Thank you for having us. Please stop by the gallery at One Artist Drive. There's always parking there, so come on in. For generations, artists have aspired to move to this county. Pam Rader discovers that contemporary artist and gallery owner Dixie Ferrer is no different. I'm Pam Rader. I'm Patty Peeker. And I'm Vera Grubbs. And we're here at the Ferrar Gallery with Dixie Ferrer. I believe what happens, we get so busy with everything but honoring that side of us. But we forget to put that creativeness that helps to balance everything. We all have snow days, and it's like, why not take that time that you're supposed to settle down Go inside and be introspective, look outside, and then go, okay, how would I express this in some kind of creative manner? I think you were one of the first galleries to actually do hands-on art classes. And now I think this is a concept that the county wants to totally Mm -hmm. move toward. We have a, a project called Art Without Walls. And so the Art Alliance came up with, do we need walls? Do we have enough spaces in this town that will offer their um, space for a fee? We've got the teachers. Well, were you instrumental in helping get the Art Alliance going? Yeah. I started it about 12 years ago. Because we were fragmented. We were not a strong voice in the community. They kind of forgot we were an art colony. And Mm -hmm. we have over 300 artists in this area. 
which is amazing. So we came together so we could educate, we could share advertising. We got the gallery walk. We have that gala, the dining gala every year to raise funds. So there's really no reason why people uh, would come here now and not know that it was an art community. <laughs> and that's what we're trying to reclaim that. Dixie, you got involved in a DVD project called Living Treasures. Yes. Five, six artists? Yeah, six artists. Uh, When I was more involved in the Art Alliance, I kept seeing this vision of a panel discussion of some of the artists who were older, who knew art in Brown County back then to now. That history was going to disappear if we didn't interview them. Finally, Mary Pendergrass, she got involved in the Historical Society. She uh, heard about this project that I wanted to get off the ground. So the Historical Society ended up partnering. We got six uh, artists. Three of them have already passed on. So I'm so glad Mm -hmm. that we did it when we did. So that it is ready for um, PBS. So you, as an artist, do you have a definition of what constitutes art? (laughs) For me, I have to do it. There was a time when our culture supported artist patrons so that we could just paint and then they would support us so we could eat, you know, and have a roof over our head. And it gets more and more difficult to do that. So you usually have to have a a mate that has a full-time job or you have to have a full-time job. What kind of an impact does your surroundings have for you? The beauty of the countryside, the energy. The fellow artists, the support. People come here from all over the world to try to capture the atmospheric condition that settles in over the hills. And I've been wanting to move down here since I was a little girl. And I would go to Marie Thompson's studio, it was at the front of our building. And I would pass by and I would go, someday I'm going to have a studio up there. Hers is about the only space I haven't had a studio in. But I got in the building, it was like, I have a website, www.ferrergallery.com. Thanks a lot, Dixie. The Gallery Walk mention takes place the second Saturday of every month, April through December. An artist in Brown County has many hardships, and being creative, they find many ways to get around them, as Gunther Flum reports. Now we've got artists by the dozens, feeding family, friends, and cousins by painting every hill and tree, then sell that view they get for free. So when our county saw the facts, we passed ourselves an artist tax that said they had to pay to paint our country scenes, both gay and quaint, from cabins to canoes and lake, from hilltops down to paths we take. Why, anything them artists see, if they can paint it, there's a fee. That was sort of hard to tell. We thought them artists took it well and even seemed to take it nice when we then taxed their asking price and did not hold our town to blame as we taxed every picture frame that held a painting of a view that's now a source of revenue. At first, some artists did resist, but our police with iron fist had their orders they must seize any picture of our trees or hills and valleys, ponds and streams that finance artists and their dreams. 
But attacks on artists failed, for after dozens had been jailed, their cases never came to trial. Them artists changed their painting style. For with their colors, tints, and hues, they stopped painting country views. And by expressing what they saw, they painted freely past our law. As now the tourists came in flock to buy our artists' laughing stock, for since we caused this taxing fuss, they just paint clowns that look like us. Seriously, folks, this month there are many opportunities to experience art in the hills. Vera interviews Kathy Anderson, who tells of a new learning adventure. Then she talks with Jan Spears and Sherry Platter about the annual studio and garden tour. This is Vera Grubbs with the Brown County Hour for WFHB in the studios of Nashville. I'm here with Kathy Anderson. Hi there, Kathy. Hello. You are the creator of the Experiencing the Arts of Brown County. Is that so? That's right. Experience the Arts in Brown County. What aspects of the Brown County culture encouraged you to initiate the Experience the Arts project this year? It was actually an event I attended last year in 2010. It was the Art Alliance Artful Dining event. They did a beautiful job of decorating the tables and having a silent auction, and it was all to support a new effort of theirs called Art Center Without Walls. I thought it was extremely admirable, and I watched as they pursued this effort, and I felt that with more marketing and maybe a little bit more organization into a uh, defined period of time that maybe that would advance the concept. So that's when I undertook this effort. How has the geography of Brown County shaped your vision of the Experience the Arts project? I love that question because (laughs) actually I think it has had a very big impact on it. I love the idea of people actually getting out onto the back roads of Brown County and seeing its beauty. And so when they go to an artist's own studio, they will have the opportunity then to appreciate the beauty of our county. So it actually has a a great deal of influence on my program. It's how I fell in love with Brown County when I was public health nurse many years ago, and I drove the back roads of Brown County and fell in love with it. And that's what I want people to do. I want people to come here, come to an art class, and fall in love with Brown County. There are over 200 artists in Brown County living and working today. How did you choose among those for your project? Well, we offered the opportunity to anyone who was interested. We really emailed every artist that we could find, and I had um, a breakfast and invited interested artists in January and encouraged them to apply to teach. At this point, we just want people who are practicing art in the county and who are interested in teaching their art Artists are busy people. They're busy doing their art. It takes a lot of their time, and they don't have as much time to market it and resources, so this program is to help them to market and to make available their incredible talents to anyone interested. Our website is www.experiencebrowncounty.com. We also have a Facebook page. You can look at Experience the Arts in Brown County, kind of keep updated on happenings with the event. Is there anything else that you might like to mention? We have over 150 classes that we're offering between June 20th and July 1st. We have an amazing array of arts media that you can experience. I encourage you to go to the website. We need students now. I've so enjoyed our talk. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Vera. It was an honor. 
This is Janice Pierce and Vera Grubbs for the Brown County Hour and WFHB Radio. Vera is interviewing Sherry Platter and Jan Spears with the Brown County Studio and Garden Tour. Would you tell us the specifics for this year's Studio and Garden Tour? Always at the last full weekend of June this year. It's the 24th, 25th, and 26th. Uh, Friday, it's 9 to 6, and Saturday, 9 to 6 also, and Sunday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. We do daily demonstrations in each studio, light refreshments, and we have guest artists this year in different studios. There are 27 working artists on this year's tour. What is the tour's history and how and by whom was it created? I guess I would lay claim a little bit to the creation of this event, and I'm thrilled that it's continuing for 13 years, but that is largely because of all the artists. My concept long ago was that we needed to recognize the artists that didn't necessarily have the means to have a shop in downtown Nashville and additionally their studios. So we came up with an idea to implement a tour that would showcase the artists in their studios and their work and educate the public about what they do. And that's what we did. I have to make sure and mention that Fred Wrigley was a guest artist for us for the first year, really helped us launch this thing and give it some credibility, I think. So we're always indebted to Fred for helping us with this vision to get it going. Fred was an eccentric character in the community, I remember well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was. Lovely man. Lots of stories Mm -hmm. from Fred. And I happen to be one of the ladies that, yes, I was in Fred's bedroom looking at the artwork. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The Brown County Studio Garden Tour has a very nice website that you can download the map that will indicate the route that you choose to take to visit any of these studios and artists. Plus the pictures of the studios and the artists and their work on the website. Wonderful. It's a great website, yeah. BrownCountyStudioTour.com. Thank you very much. Thank you, Vera. Brown County is loaded with artists and musicians of the human kind, but we also have other musicians not so human. Walking with Nature is in the studio to speak with Jeff Keller. He records bird calls for Cornell University. Now a resident of Brown County, he also records frog calls, and that's what we'll be talking about today. Hello, Jeff. Good morning. First off, let's clear up the confusion. What is the difference between a toad and a frog? Well, toads generally have a drier skin. It's also generally more warty and bumpy. They also hop rather than leap. They can stand drying out better than a frog can. Frog skins are usually moist and rather slippery, I would assume. (laughs) I began hearing frogs at the end of February. What frogs were they? More than likely, it would have been one of three species. Wood frogs are perhaps one of the very first frogs to call at that time of year, right after the ice melts on the ponds, and you get that first 55-degree day in, the, in late February. Other frogs out in the lowlands, in the agricultural lands, you would encounter chorus frogs. And in wooded ponds, along with the wood frogs, you'd also hear lots of little spring peepers. Then what frogs do we hear after that? Southern leopard frogs would be next in line. American toads also start up like in mid-April or early April when we get the 65-degree days. 
After that, it progresses on to other species, some of which are not present in Brown County, but are in other areas of Indiana, like there's a crawfish frog that's threatened and endangered in Indiana. And those would start calling around the 15th of March, and they are the county west of Bloomington in Greene County. And there's also a population down in the Big Oaks National Wildlife Refuge. And what frogs would we hear in June? In June, expect to hear in Brown County, uh, bullfrogs would probably be most conspicuous. And then there are green frogs, as well as Cope's gray tree frogs, cricket frogs. They sound like little castanets, little clicking noises, and fowler's toads. Why is Brown County a great place for frogs? Well, it does have habitat that's relatively undisturbed, plus people have a lot of ponds. And because there's a lot of habitat available, the frogs are there. It's been a really wet spring. Is that change conditions, and is there something special that happens? Yes, particularly for an extremely rare toad in southern Indiana called the eastern spadefoot toad. This is actually a, a toad species that is barely hanging on to existence in Indiana, but this was a great spring for them because of our torrential rains. In fact, that's what triggers their breeding is five inches or more of rain in any one session. And that happened around Easter weekend of this year, and the site was in Bartholomew County, about five miles southeast of Columbus, near Elizabethtown. And it was a quite a spectacle to see thousands of these toads come out and breed in the flooded fields. The spadefoot toads have a requirement of sandy soil. They need the sandy soil because they burrow most of their lives. Outside of breeding season, you'll never see them because they, they burrow under the sand. But when the rains come in spring, the, the big rains, they come out in mass and breed. And hopefully their tadpoles will survive before their flooded fields are bone dry. By the way, the spadefoot toads have vertical pupils. That makes them stand apart from all other frogs and toads in North America. Their eyes are more like the eye of a cat with a, a vertical pupil rather than the horizontal pupil you will see on all the other frogs and toad species. Plus, they sound really strange. And finally, why do frogs sing? Basically, it'll be the males that'll be doing the singing. They do that to hopefully attract a potential mate. There are certain species where this is really conspicuous, and the resulting mating is, is uh, from a human perspective, not a pretty picture, so to speak, because sometimes the males have the females outnumbered by a wide margin. It's like a well, like a drunken frat party supreme is what it is. And if you happen to take a hike around Straw Lake in Brown County State Park on some of those first warm days, and you will see what I am referring to. Thank you for talking with us today, Jeff. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Jeff has recorded a CD of frog calls called Frogs and Toads of Southern Indiana. It is available at T.C. Steele State Historic Site. For the Brown County Hour, this is Kaylee Witt, Walking with Nature. We'll be back after station identification.
Recently, Lee Edgren talked to artist Susan Showalter about her year-long documentary project titled Artists Interrupted, Brown County Artists Challenged by Illness or Injury. This is Lee Edgren. I'm talking to Susan Showalter. She is an award-winning journalist and a lifetime self-supporting artist who's worked as a writer, an apparel designer, a fine art photographer, a gallery owner in Nashville, and she's now one of the head writers for the Brown County Hour. You've just finished a year-long documentary on Brown County artists, and you received a grant for the National Endowment for the Arts for this project. Tell us about it. In 1998, I was in a really bad car accident and broke my neck, and I I had a lot of internal injuries, and then I was re-injured within the next couple of years three more times. So I had a long recovery process and, of course, was unable to work for quite some time. This affected my life in many, many ways, financially, emotionally, socially, just in many ways, and it was a really tough experience. But I got through it and went on and found a way to get back to doing artwork. I've been unable to do what I used to do because of my spinal cord damage that affects my hand. But I'm doing what I did when I was younger, which is photography and writing. I kind of call that the gift for my accident. Many people have told me that I was inspiring to them. And so I knew that there were other artists that had been through trials and tribulations. Got this idea and wrote a proposal to the Indiana Arts Commission and was awarded the grant in 2010. I spent a year and I interviewed artists and chose five other artists to participate in the project. And, and who are those artists? Well, they're one wonderful people, and I've just had such a great time getting to know them better. William Zimmerman is a world-renowned wildlife artist. Charlene Marsh is an award-winning painter, and at one time she also did fiber arts. Pete Siebert is a character around town that some people know as Jacob Brown. He was also involved in our radio program. He is a storyteller and a writer. Then both Chris Webb and Pat Webb, it's a father and son, both incredible singer-songwriters. So how have they coped with the these art career interruptions? They're at various stages. Charlene, she's much, much more healthy and she's able to be back at her regular routine of going to shows all over the U.S. and painting. William Zimmerman, when I first went to interview him, like he was still unable to work much at all. I met with these artists sometimes on several occasions over the course of the year, so some of them have made changes during that time. I'm really happy to say that Bill is back at work and dealing with his issues a lot better now. Pat Webb has recovered pretty well. It has slowed him down. He's older, but he is performing again, and Chris is too. As for myself, one of the key things that I found in this whole process has been that the way you recover from something is by helping someone else. I think the lesson that I've learned is that people that are down can help other people get up. It's been a great lesson. These people have all been an inspiration to me. You mentioned that you felt that you had received a gift. Did these other artists also feel that in some way this illness brought a gift to them? Yes, I think they all have felt that way. I do have a website that I produced. There are some recorded interviews with the artists, and there's one particular section that deals with this. So you can go on and listen to them in their own words tell about this. And the website is? Artistsinterrupted.com. That's artists, plural, interrupted.com. And I have people's artwork on there, narration 
publications and examples of their work. I have my interviews. Some of them are recorded. We've also produced an exhibition. I know you've had an exhibition here in Brown County. Do you have any upcoming exhibitions scheduled? Yes. I'm a fine art photographer, so I took pictures of each of the artists at work and then a narrative about what happened to them, how they dealt with it, their gifts from their ordeal. Then I produced this exhibition, which opened here at the Brown County History Center in April. The exhibition and the response to it way exceeded any kind of expectations I had. We had about 150 people show up at our wonderful reception for the artists. We had to hold the show over for an extra week, and the reception was held over for an hour and a half because people just kept coming. We're glad to see them. The next exhibition will be in my own gallery, Handmade in Brown County, which is about 10 minutes southeast of Nashville, and that's from June 17th until July 3rd. There will be an artist reception for that one as well, and there will be others scheduled throughout the year, and the final exhibit will be in Bloomington at Meadowood in January of 2012. If you visit the website, you can keep abreast of where and when these other exhibitions will be. Finally, Susan, what do you hope all people, anyone, can gain from this project? People that have come to look at the exhibition and have heard these people's stories feel that it has been very inspiring for them. But that really satisfies me a whole lot. And I also want them to understand that it's a struggle to be an artist financially. Most of us have to really work hard to make a living. Some people have no other skills, so they can't get another job. I just want basically people to see the inspiration that bad things happen to people sometimes and people do survive and that's very inspiring. Not only survive, but like you go on to create and perhaps in some new and surprising directions. Exactly. What a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you, Lee. I always enjoy the opportunity of talking about these wonderful artists. Finally, here is that promised interview with our feature musician, Louis Rickey, director of the Indiana Arts Commission. This is Rick Fettig with the Brown County Hour and WFHB Community Radio, and we're here in Nashville, Indiana. We're lucky here in Brown County because a gentleman living here is the executive director of the Indiana Arts Commission, Louis Rickey. Hey, Rick. How are you tonight? (laughs) I'm just fine. I've known Louis for a long time. Tell us a little bit about what the Indiana Arts Council, what they do. The Indiana Arts Commission is an executive agency of the state of Indiana. Uh, We are part of your state government. We are in charge of trying to advance the arts on a state level in our state and support the artists and arts organizations in our state, both financially with federal and state tax dollars, as well as to help bring them expertise uh, so they can succeed in our state and to help set planning and policy for the state as it relates to the arts. So we're involved in helping to, to conceive of legislation and other ways to help the arts prosper in our state. Well, how does Brown County influence your commission and then vice versa? I mean, obviously, Brown County is a great place for creative people. I would say that there's good influence in both directions. Obviously, we have a lot of tremendous artists in this area, and uh, we as a commission have given out individual artist fellowships to Brown County people, to organizations in Brown County we've helped to support. And by the way, I should also point out when you see the Indian Arts Commission, we are involved in every art form, music, dance, theater, literature, photography, media arts. You lived here before. I did. I was here for like 87 to 97. I went to graduate school at, at Indian University 
got my master's degree in arts management and worked in Indianapolis a bit in not-for-profit arts for the, the International Violin Competition of Indianapolis. And then I was the director of the Columbus Area Arts Council. Then I went to Penn State University and worked in alumni and a development for the College of Arts and Architecture there. And then I was director of the International Jazz Collections at the <laughs> University of Idaho. And then I came back because of the job at the Arts Commission. You have a little family band. And I you, do. The songs we're going to be playing are with your family. Two songs that are ones that we recorded recently are with my two sons. Campbell is uh, is just graduating from, from Brown High County High School, and he's, he'll be attending IU in the fall. He's a very good guitar player and singer. And then my other son, Duncan, is finishing up his sophomore year at Brown County High School. He's the drummer and percussionist. I do, on these two, cut the lead singing, play keyboards, electric guitar, and some percussion, and then some sample, all sorts of things. And then Margaret, your wife. Margaret does background vocals, backup vocals, and bass lines, too, keyboards. Board. Kind of a complete ensemble. Yeah. We do some nice three-part harmonies and a variety of sort of singer-songwriter stuff. Yeah. Of course, the, the two that you're going to hear are are my songs. Yeah. Uh, you do have one more song. I do. Nash, <laughs> who is out in Idaho. We sort of left him there in Idaho when we came back. <laughs> he just graduated from the College of Idaho, and he's living out there. Does he play? He plays horn really well. The other night I went to hear you play, and uh, you modestly followed a John Hyatt song oh, with one right. of your songs. That's right. So he, I, apparently you admire him a lot. Is there any other influences? or? When I was younger, when I was uh, you know in high school and in college, I was a huge Joni Mitchell fan. Mm. And I, I always thought that she was sort of the consummate singer, songwriter, artist, and uh, just really loved her lyric. Jenny Mitchell was a good influence on me. My favorite piano player, I think by far, is Bruce Hornsby. I think he's just a fabulous, he's sort of, he can play any genre and does it well. Again, I think he's a really good songwriter as well. And I love songwriters. I try to be one. I do enjoy it. Why don't you tell us about Dry Spell? Dry Spell will say is a metaphoric tune uh, that I like to write tunes with more than one level of meaning. And so it, it's about kind of a personal dry spell, too. And so the lyrics are obviously figurative and not literal. I think it's a moody tune. I, th I think that's a good way to describe it. Well, let's hear it. Long. 
You can catch the Ricky family band at Muddy Boots Cafe in Nashville on July 15th. The Brown County Hour is produced for WFHB entirely by volunteers. If you want to participate in the project or have suggestions, please contact Pam Rader at 812-988-0035 or bch at wfhb.org. You can listen to this or past shows at WFHB.org or browncountyhour.com. Thank you to our special guests, musician Louis Rickey, art segments Jody Friend, Dixie Ferrer, Kathy Anderson, Jan Spears, Sherry Platter, and Habitat's Carol Moore. Thanks to Susan Showalter for conceiving and carrying out her Artist Interrupted project. And finally, last but not least, thanks to Jeff Keller for the wonderful sound effects of frogs. 
or were they toads? Regular contributors, Steve Miller and Gunther Flum, and the historical players, Julia Pearson, Pete Siebert, and Larry Taylor. Also thanks to our award-winning staff and their tireless efforts. Executive producer, Chad Carruthers. Managing producer, Pam Rader. Technical producer and webmaster, Jeff Foster. Tech crew members, Scott Nelson, George Clave, J.T. Robinson, and Rick Fedick, who are always wonderfully accommodating. Correspondents and editors, Bruce Clegg, Lee Edgren, Rick Fedig, Vera Grubbs, Janice Pierce, Pam Rader, and Kaylee Witt. And a slap on the back to our friend Slats Klug for his musical contributions. For extended interviews, pictures of the crew, and links to the websites of featured guests, please visit our website, browncountyhour.com. Don't forget to tune in August 20th for Episode 7. Thanks for listening. listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home. Brown County home.